Hallelujah. You know, one of the things as we get into this message this morning that, that God said and God told his children is that we are to guard our hearts, we are to guard our minds, we are to guard our eyes, we are to guard the way that we live and the way that we walk. And one of the problems that Christians get into is that we begin to live a loose life. We begin to let go on the things of God and we begin to just coast and live life according the way that men do. And I want you to know that God has called you to a higher standard of living. God has called you to a holy standard of living. God has not called you to give up. God has called you to press in. God has not called you to stop. He's called you to go. And he wants you to come all the way in to the holy of holies. God wants you to come into the holy of holies so that he can breathe upon you, refresh you, give you new strength that he can give you what you need in this life by opening you up to the things of heaven. But when we draw back and we begin to when we begin to lose that sight of the of the miraculous, we begin to think like men think. And one of the most dangerous things that a church can do is begin to live like the world. We, that's when we begin to name the name of Christ but not live the life of Christ. And the Bible says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Not Christ's name on us is the hope of glory, but Christ in us is the hope of glory. And the greatest thing that you can do is allow Christ to live in you and through you so that he can reach others. And I want you to know the most beautiful part of that is, as D.O. Moody said, a rising tide lifts all boats. If you begin to get filled with the Spirit of God, those around you will begin to get touched and blessed by the Spirit of God. Once somebody in the home gets saved and they get filled with the Spirit of God, there's a peace that comes in that home. There's a spirit that will come in that home. There's a voice of reason, of sanity, of holiness, of righteousness that will begin to come in that home. If you'll get one person saved, it'll be a fight. You'll be facing headwinds, yes, but God will go before you. God will fight for you. The victory belongs to God, but if you'll just believe and watch God work, you'll see God God do a miraculous thing in your family, but it takes you. It takes you taking God at his word, and nobody else can do that except you. No, I can't do that for you. Somebody else can't do that for you. You've got to receive God's word and say, I believe that. I receive that. I'm going to hold on to that, and I'm going to live by that word that God said. One of the problems that we see is that we know things in pretense. We know things in formalities. We know things in, in, in like a Sunday school religion, but we don't have the transformational knowledge that God requires us in order to live. Now, we know that the Bible says the just shall live by faith. If you're going to live the life of God, you're going to have to walk by faith. You're going to have to believe what God says, and you're going to have to live it out. You're going to have to walk those things out. You can't just know them. God didn't come to the earth so that you can get a bigger head. God didn't come to the earth and die on the cross so that you can memorize things in Sunday school and get a gold sticker. God didn't come to this earth so that you'll know how to wipe your mouth and, and open a door for somebody and carry somebody's groceries out. God came 
came here, shed his blood on the cross so that he can make you a new person, so that he can make you a new creature, so that he can give you new life, so that old things would be passed away and all things would be made new in you. And God's desire is that you let the old go. But you've got to do that. I want you to know, look, we don't believe in Calvinism. God's not going to make you get saved. God's not going to make you let your old life go. You've got to esteem God greater than the old life. You've got to esteem what Christ did for you on the cross greater than who you are naturally. You've got to let go of who you are and grab hold of who God is. And if you'll do that, God will meet you in that place. The Bible says, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. Draw near to God and he'll come to you. He will meet you in your drawing. Amen. Every single person that came to Jesus in humility met the Savior. Every single person that came to Jesus in pride met the law. Who do you want to meet? Who do you want to meet? Do you want to come to the Lord in humility and draw near to Him and meet the Savior? Or do you want to draw near to Him in pride, showing Him what you've done and why hasn't He done this? And see, then you'll meet the law. One of the things that we see here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, It says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In other words, what the Lord is saying in this passage is you are supposed to keep your heart, meaning you have the ability, you have the ability to put things in and to take things out. You have the ability to monitor what is received into your heart. If you keep your eyes on this world, you're going to pull your hair out. You're going to panic. You're going to run around like a chicken with your head cut off. You're going to begin to be moved by the fear of men. You're going to look at the way that the world is and you're going to think that you need to do something about it and you need to kick doors and you need to hold hostages and you need to march on City Hall and you need to do this and you need to do that. You know what you need to do? You need to get filled with the Spirit of God. You need to trust God and believe that all things are possible for his children. God moves mountains when his people pray, not when his people march. When we begin to put our hopes in politicians and we begin to put our hopes in programs, we have failed the Holy Ghost. We have stopped trusting in the living God and we begin to look to the arm of men and the arm of the flesh instead of the arm of God. I want you to know that God still works. He hasn't retired. He's still the Lord of hosts. There's still a heavenly army. He still pours out His Spirit on seeking hearts. And God still saves. And if you'll begin to trust and believe with childlike faith, you'll begin to see fear leave. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, God didn't give us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. But I want you to know, according to this verse right here, if you let fear into your heart, guess what's going to come out of you? Oh, boy, did you see this? And, oh, boy, did you see that? Oh, man, 
we're going to have to do this and we're going to have to do batten down the hatches. We need to go get some survival food and we need to dig a hole and we need to go just get tucked away for 20 years and then we'll come out. But last time I looked in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said we're not supposed to take this light that God gave us and hide it under a bushel. Last time I looked in the Bible, now you might have you might have got one of those Bibles that changes. I don't know, but the, my, but my Bible hadn't changed. It says that I'm not supposed to take the light that God gave me and hide it. I'm supposed to let my light shine. And if we are God's children, I want to ask you: How are you allowing God's light to shine through you? Because if we're all the time watching Fox News and CNN and listening to Democrats and Republicans and listening to this and listening to that, I want you to know you'll be allowing fear into your hearts. You'll know more about nothing than anyone else on the planet. You'll be knowing when this protest is and when that one is and when we're going to do this and when we're going to do that, but you won't know that God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now that's now you can learn that and memorize it in Sunday school, but until you make that choice to stop allowing the filth of the world into your heart, you will be controlled and manipulated by the fear of the world. And listen, God didn't give us that spirit. God conquered this world. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Do you know that he owned and he created this earth? But when Adam sinned, a curse was brought upon this earth, and Jesus went to the cross and became a curse for us. Jesus went to that cross and he bought us. He earned the power that was given to him. All power in heaven and earth was given to him because he earned it at Calvary and he rose from the dead triumphing over death, hell, and the grave so that we don't have to fear men. We don't have to fear the pestilence. We don't have to fear governments. We don't have to fear death anymore. As, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? Because the sting of death has been removed because Jesus walked out of that tomb on the third day. Death has been defeated. The reality is we're all going to die, but it has no more sting because the dead in Christ rise first. That's The sting's gone. Not only that, not only will our bodies be resurrected when the trumpet sounds and the Lord calls us home, not only that, but we have the even better promise that when we're absent from our body, we're present with the Lord in spirit. So hallelujah, it's a win-win. Well, I just don't want to go through this and I don't want to go through that. Well, you know what? I don't either. But I would rather know that if God be for me, who can be against me? If I'm going in it, I'd rather God go in it with me than me walk in it with the spirit of fear and not have God on me and lose the favor of God over my life, lose the blessing of God over my life, and walk around like, like Eeyore. Oh, everything's getting bad. They're going to come get us. They're going to round us up. So what? They need the gospel. They're going to put you in a concentration camp. People in a concentration camp need to get saved. 
There's people, greater Christians than us, years gone by, that sold themselves into slavery so that they could win the lost. And here we are fearing. Here we are fearful because we're allowing CNN, Fox News, Democrats, Republicans, and everybody else under the sun to influence us so that we're so fearful, we're moved by men instead of being moved by the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you that the devil is using this fear to divide our nation. He's using the fear to divide the church. He's using the fear to divide homes. He's using this fear to divide friends. He is a divider. Anywhere you see that kind of division taken on, especially in the church of the living God, you know the devil's at work. He is moving right now because he's trying to weaken as many Christians as he can because his time is short. The hour is drawing nigh when Christ will come back. But you know that if you, if, you, if you allow these things into your life, if you allow fear to control you, and if you allow men to manipulate you, what you'll end up doing is you'll end up going through the motions spiritually. You'll go to church but not be there. You'll worship but not worship. You'll sing, but it won't be from your heart. Do you know that you can sing but not, but not be pleasing to God? Come on now. Think about it. You, you can literally sing a song and it not be pleasing to God. Well, there's a lot of things on Christian radio that I don't believe are pleasing to God. I was just sharing this week, one of the most popular songs says, His blood flows through my veins. That's blasphemy. His blood was shed at Calvary. But yet Christian radio and churches sing it all over the nation. And it's nothing but blasphemy. So there's many times people sing and they're earnest, they're sincere, but they're earnest and sincerely wrong. God's not looking for us to go through the motions. He's not looking for us just to open our mouth and, and allow a sound to come out. He's looking for a spirit. He's looking for a heart. He's looking for people that desire him, that honor him, that will worship him. Now it says here that, that out of the abundance... no. It says here that the heart, that if we will guard our hearts, if we will guard our hearts, God will do something. God will do something. God will prevent you. God will prevent you from blaspheming him if you'll guard your heart. But if you don't guard that heart, you're going to end up shrinking back on your faith. You're going to end up going through the motions. You're going to end up doing and going things and doing things that you don't want to do. Watch this, and Jesus said this. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Come on, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Did you know that you can't allow that kind of stuff in your life and not expect it to come out? It's like somebody that, that, that lives, lives their life, lives their life consuming the filth of the internet. Well, the filth of the internet's going to come out of your life. It's going to move from your computer or from your phone into your life. You can't allow those things in without them also not coming out. And if you allow nothing but the but fear of men, fear of pestilence, fear of the world into your life, that is going to be what controls you. Out of it are the issues of life. It's, it's ironic because a lot of times people will begin to say, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not moved by it. It's just all I talk about. But Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
If that's all that we talk about, if, if, if the number one thing we talk about is politics, diseases, what men are doing, what Republicans are doing, what Democrats are doing, listen, what is God doing? God has called us to a higher standard of living. God has called you to put your faith in heavenly things, not earthly things. God is greater than whatever's going on in this world. When Hezekiah was facing one of the battle, greatest battles of his life, God turned it around in one hour. How many men and women of God have experienced the miraculous work of the Lord? In one hour, it looked like all hope was gone, but there were people that stood steadfast and believed God and God changed the whole course of their history. Look at the mighty woman of God, oh Esther. I mean, God, God used Esther because the whole nation was about to get wiped out. They were about to have a genocide worse than Hitler could have dreamed of. They were going to wipe out all the Jews. And Esther was the only one that had the courage. She had the opportunity. She had the anointing. But guess what? She had to have more fear of God than fear of men. And she stood up and she spoke the truth and she spoke with boldness because she knew that God was with her, God was for her, and she wasn't going to fear man, she wasn't going to fear, fear political pushback, but she was going to stand and speak the truth, whatever it cost. And that's the kind of Christians that God is looking to raise up in this hour. He's looking for people that will turn away from uh, the things of the world and turn to Him. Now here in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin here in verse number 1. Paul's writing this letter, and I want you to keep an eye on a couple of key things here. Verse number 1, he said, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. How about that? Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. In other words, you might get tired of it, but I don't. <laughs> he, he's saying, I'm, I'm telling you the same thing again, and you might get tired of it, but it's for your benefit. It's to keep you right. It's to keep you safe. Sometimes you pastor, why are you talking about that? Why are you talking about this? Well, if the Lord is leading it, it's to keep us safe. It's to keep us where we need to be with God. Because we, as you know, in this house of flesh, we, we just have that innate, you know, ability to go back and to shrink back from God and to, and to be lost in the ways of men. But God desires to keep you right with him, to keep you safe. That's what he's talking about there, safe. He says, beware of dogs. Now, let's think, is, is, is he telling you to beware of German shepherds? Come on now. He's telling you to beware of dogs, but he's not talking about German shepherds. He's not talking about Dalmatians. He's not talking about anything or poodles. He's not talking about that. He's, tell, he's telling you to beware of men. So there's a, a spiritual c component to this verse. It's not literal dogs. There's a spiritual aspect. And you need to realize that, that God looks at some things this way. Now watch, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, the concision, for we are the circumcision. Now, let's stop right there. Beware of the concision. What does the concision mean before we move on? What does the concision mean? This is a term well, Webster's Dictionary defines as it is the circumcision, but it's just the literal process of it. It's just the surgical aspect of circumcision. 
Now, see, circumcision was a, it was a surgical thing. It still is a surgical thing, and people do it surgically today. But for the Jews, it had a religious component because it identified them as the children of Abraham. It identified them as the children of Israel. It identified them as those that belonged to Jehovah God. But Paul here is saying, beware of the concision. What does that mean? He's telling you to beware of those that go through the motions. Beware of those that go through the religious exercises, but don't have the spiritual component with it. That, that have lost the spiritual side of things. That have lost the moving of the Holy Ghost. That have lost their affection for God. That have lost their zeal for the house of God. That have lost that wonder, that expectation that God desires in his children. He desires us to come into his house with a heart of expectation, with a zeal for the Lord, with the desire to see God saved, to see God set people free, to see God heal people, to see marriages restored, you know, it's, it's so sad because sometimes people, they'll get on hard times and maybe their marriage is going through a hard time or their, their body's going through a hard time. And they'll come to prayer meetings and those, man, we're here, we're going to fight for our family. We're going to fight for our family. And then God begins to move and then you never see them again. You know, or they need a job, they get a job and you never see them again. Amen. Or they get a healing and you never see them again. But where are, the, where are those people that are willing to pray for others? Where are those people that want to see God move in other people's lives, that, that have a zeal for God moving? Not just that God moves in me, but just God moving. Do you see the difference? Like, I, I want to see God heal. Not just heal me. I want to see God heal you. I, I want to see God deliver me, yeah, but I want to see God deliver you too. I want to see God save my marriage, but I want to see God save your marriage too. And, and what that takes is people having a zeal for God, a zeal for God's house, and, and, and people having a heart of expectation and just a, a place where they want to see God move. They want God. But when we lose that, we become what, the, what Paul says here, we've become concision. Concision is when you go through the ritual of it, you go through the surgical experience of it, but it's just going through the motions. And God does not want us to just simply go through the motions. And what I'm putting before you is that if we allow the world into our heart, if we don't guard our heart, if we don't guard our heart, and if we don't live by faith, if we don't guard our heart, what's going to happen is... The issues of life are going to come out of us and it's going to be worldly things and we're going to begin to become consistent. We're going to lose wonder. We're going to lose expectation. We're going to lose zeal. We're going to lose the standard that God has called us to. We're going to lose that mark of God on our lives. And one of the saddest things that we can do is, is, is profess what we don't have. This is one of the sad realities of the word faith people. You know, you say, oh, my headache's killing me. Oh, you done killed yourself. But they, they profess to have a power they don't have. They think that their words, you know, do that. But, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. Professing to have what you don't have is one of the most miserable places to be. And it's a place God does not want you to live in. God wants you to live in victory. God does not want you to live in pretense. Pretense. 
Or let me say it like this. God doesn't want you to pretend. How about that? God doesn't want you to pretend. God wants you to be real with him. The first step to making things right is to get real with God. Tell him where your heart's been. Tell him where your mind's been. Tell him where your life has been. Tell him where your body's been. Tell him where your soul's been. Tell him. That's the first step to getting things right is to be honest with God and stop pretending. And if we ever want to get reconciliation with God, we've got to stop pretending and we've got to start contending with Him and presenting ourselves before Him. Well, Paul says here, consistent. That's a, a, this is just a unique word. You don't see it often in the Bible. But it is just simply, it is the same thing that Abraham did, but it's just the surgical aspect of it. It would be like, in, instead of worship, it would just be calling it singing. It would be just like extending your word, but not worship. It would be like instead of attending church, just sitting on a pew. And a lot of people, they don't attend church. They just sit on a pew. There's a difference. Concession is, is doing the right thing, but not having the spiritual component with it. And, and, and every Jew knew they had to get circumcised. How many of you know that? If you didn't get circumcised, you got put out the camp. Every Jew knew that they had to get circumcised. And every Christian knows there's certain things they've got to do. But if you only do it because you've got to do it, you're not doing it because you're being led by the Spirit. God wants to do a new work in us so that we'll be led by the Spirit and not by the law, not by the flesh, and not by the world. And the first step to that is guarding your heart. Guarding your heart from getting into that place. Guarding your heart from outside influences that take you away from the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guarding your heart from, from anything that takes you away from love and devotion to Him. If there's something in our lives, even if it's a good habit, maybe you, maybe you like doing something and you just really like flying your kite. You just love it. And it begins to take you away from the house of God. Guess what? It went from something good to something not good. If it takes you away from God, it went from good to not good. Whatever it is. And we, we, God, if you go back and you look at Proverbs 4, verse 23, the, whenever God commanded, he said, guard your heart. The, the, the word in there, in the Hebrew, it means you guard your heart. In other words, God's not going to do that part for you. Like in, the, in, in, in James, when he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you, God's not going to make you draw near to him. If you want to stay away from God, you could stay away from God. If you don't want God in your life, you don't have to have God in your life. Now, God is not a Calvinist. He's not going to shove himself down your throat if you don't want him. Amen. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He waits on you. He waits on seeking hearts. And if you'll seek him, he'll come. But he's not going to shove himself down your throat. Amen. You're not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not going to have the zeal of the Lord and the joy of the Lord if you don't want it. Amen. And that's what concision is. Concision is going through the motions. I got the joy, 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 joy of the Lord down in my heart. Down in my heart. You see what I'm saying? It, 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 you're singing it. You're singing the right words, but it's definitely not coming from a place of joy. 
And I'm, and I'm not mocking anybody's ability to sing because I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I don't, you know, I hit all the notes. I do them all. I can't just pick one. I hit them all. I'm tone deaf. But God hears, God hears when, when you worship or when you call on him in faith, God hears that. And I want you to know God wants you to sing in faith. God wants you to pray in faith. God wants you to trust him in faith. God, God's looking for people not, not with big heads. He's looking for people with big hearts. And if you'll come to the Lord and empty out whatever's not right in your heart and pour that out before him on that altar and just empty out and let him begin to minister to you and fill you up, you'll find a river of life beginning to flow in your life. Now, Paul said here, he said, we are the circumcision. Now, now he's talking about, he's contrasting the concision with the circumcision. And, and you're not called to be the concision. And if you're in a place today and you feel like your worship, your Bible reading, your time with God, your relationship with God is concision, I want you to know God doesn't want you to stay there. We need to change that today. All it takes is one simple prayer, but it takes your heart. It can be, the prayer can be as simple as you want it to be. The prayer can even be, you know, just a couple of words, but it has to come from your heart. It has to come from a desire for you to, to move from concision to circumcision. And only you can do that. Only you can do that. So concision, right? So he said, but here in verse three, but for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. A couple of things I want to point out right here. He said that we worship God in spirit. That, that means that, that whenever we worship, it comes from a spiritual place. Life of worship. That means everything that you do. In, in other words, the way that you treat people even not at church. The way you treat your neighbor the, the way that you treat people in the line at the grocery store. The way that you treat people that you think you'll never see again in your life. Though, even those things are an act of worship to God. Everything that you do becomes worship for the Lord. You, because listen, it is about God in you. And if you truly have God in you, if you truly have God in you, the people... D.L. Moody said it like this. He said, the, the people of the world, they're not going to read the Bible. Most Christians don't even read the Bible. Think about that. People of the world aren't going to read the Bible. Most Christians don't even read the Bible. So if the people of the world are going to see or hear anything about God, it's going to be because you have God in you and you're living a life for God and you're speaking the truth of God and you're doing it from a place of worship for God. But if we walk around and we fear the same thing they fear and we say the thing, same things they say and we do the same things they do, there's no difference to, the, to our standard of living as their standard of living. Our hope is their hope. Our expectation is their expectation. We're all just waiting on the next politician. We're all just waiting on the next stimulus. We're all just waiting on the next shot. We're all just waiting on the next this and the next that instead of waiting on God and expecting God, and believing God, and trusting God, and hoping in God, and believing God, and having a zeal for God, and loving God, and being moved by God, and not the world. Amen. And only we can do that. Only we can do that. 
This separates us from being concision and circumcision. And I'll tell you this. The, in, in the Bible, baptism is one of the most important things you can do in the New Testament. It is an act of obedience to follow the Lord in baptism. He got baptized. You need to get baptized. He was touched by the Holy Ghost. You need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. He didn't begin to work in ministry till the Holy Ghost came on him. We need the Holy Ghost on us. Baptism, though, is one of the things that we do in the New Testament. But it is, a, it is a symbol, it is symbolic of circumcision. It is symbolic of circumcision. The Old Testament circumcision was a symbol that you belong to God. New Testament baptism is a symbol that you belong to God. And you see, when you can go through the motion in the Old Testament, the concision, you can be a concision, and that's just where you went through the surgical procedure, but you didn't live for God. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. God delivered millions of people in Exodus. Millions of circumcised Jews. God delivered millions of circumcised Jews. In other words, they went through the surgical procedure to show that they were gods. They were, they were the concision though. Because when God delivered them and brought them out of Egypt, all of them died but two. So you have literally right there in the book of Exodus, as God delivered them, you have this same principle played out. Millions of, of Jews were surgically circumcised, but not spiritually. They went through the surgical procedure. They called themselves God's people, but they weren't God's people because when push came to shove, they didn't trust God. That's what it boiled down to. They feared men, they feared famine, they feared pestilence, they feared anything and everything except God. When push came to shove, they didn't make it to the promised land, even though they were circumcised. God called them concision, because they only did it surgically, not spiritually. And, and, and God's looking today to see if you are naming the name of God surgically or spiritually today. You see, they didn't make it. Only two did. Joshua and Caleb, they made it. Everybody else died. But it wasn't because they had the wrong name. It wasn't because they went through the wrong procedure. It, wasn't, it was because they began to fear the world. You see the same thing in the church today. People are fearing the world. We're fearful of men. We're fearful of the wrong politician. We're feel, fearful of what's going to happen to the stock market. What's going to happen to my retirement? What's going to happen to my health care? What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my grandkids? What's going to happen to the nation? What's going to happen to this? What's going to happen to that? But I want you to know God's greater. Amen. I don't, I don't, and I don't have the answer for all that except for this. I trust the Lord. Psalm chapter 20 says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but I'll trust in the name of the Lord. Some people can put their, they, you want to hope in this Republican, you want to hope in this vaccine, you want to hope in this guy and that girl, and you want to hope in this money and that money, go for it. But I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord. I'm going to stand on what he said. I'm not going to be moved by fear. I'm not going to be moved by the fear of men or by the fear of the world. I'm going to be moved by God. Yes. 
And I'm not going to move off of what he says. I'm going to stand on his word and he's going to fight our battles. He's going to go before us. He's going to be our rear guard. He's going to watch over us. He's going to be the fire at night and the cloud by day. He's going to encamp around us with a host of angels. He's going to be with us even when we go through the fire. He will be for us, not against us. God will be on our side. Joshua, whenever Joshua was going up to Jericho, he saw Jesus. He said, are you for us or against us? And Jesus said, well, he's against them. Meaning it just depends on how you answer that, Joshua. You see, God's for righteousness. God's for holiness. God's for faith. God's for believing. And if you'll do those things, God will be on your side. If you'll trust the Lord, God will be for you. But if you begin to fear the world, if you begin to stop guarding your heart and you allow the fear of men in and you allow the fear of pestilence in and you allow the worldly things to come in, then you'll find yourself fighting against God. You'll find yourself bothered whenever people just stand on faith. You can't do that. Well, yes, they can. It's you that can't because you're consistent. You've got to get to that place where you don't want to be surgically naming the name of God, but spiritually naming the name of God. And see, that's the difference here between concision and circumcision. Surgical procedure, spiritual procedure. Well, there's a spiritual procedure that we all need. How does God do it spiritually in us? God does it the same way He always has. You've got to come back to that cross. And, and, and see, as, as, as we don't guard our heart, we allow the world to come into our heart, we begin to value our life again. Come on. We begin to be more about our house than God's house. We begin to get more about our business than God's business. See, Jesus, even as a child, he told, he told Mary, he said, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And when he turned over the, the money changers' ta tables, it was the zeal of the Lord's house that consumed him. And, and so it's the same way today. We see it in our lives waning, that, that desire to be about God's business. We're more about our own business. Hey, I'll see when I can fit it in, Pastor. Okay. I'll see when I can fit the Lord in. Okay, that's fine. See when you can fit the Lord in. That's fine. But watch, watch, just guard. There's times that we've got to handle our business. I'm with you. Because sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta fix things. You gotta tend your garden sometimes. I get it. But there's there's a danger. The danger is in whenever we begin to get more zealous for our own business than God's. Or when we begin to live for our own house and not God's house. That's when the danger begins to get set in. And what God's looking for is his children to put him first again. And in order for you to do that, you've got to get back to that cross. Amen. See, for, to put God first, he's not going to compete with you. God's not going to, you know, you can get, like today, uh, the churches compete because they just, just, whoever has the bigger attraction gets the bigger crowd. You know, ah, I'm going to dance on my head. Okay, I'm going to get a dancing bear. And so it's all about competing attractions. You know, we're going to get a Ferris wheel. Okay, well, we're going to have to get a helicopter ride. It's all about competing, how to get. But for you to get right with God, you're going to have to put God first, and he's not going to compete for your attention. 
He's not going to compete for your affection. He calls you to come to the cross and bid yourself to die at Calvary. Bid yourself to die at the cross. Bid yourself to let yourself go and be made new in him. God's called us to let go. Jesus says it very uniquely. He said that if, if, if you seek to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for him, for his sake, you'll find it. It's a paradox that the concision never understands. But it's a paradox that the concision, the circumcision, lives by. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this. Let's continue reading down to verse uh, number 7, and then we're going to move on. He says, though I, might, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he had whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Now, you know the church is, it is, the church is the house of God. We just went through this study on why we have church. But I want you to see something right here, real quick. The church is the bride of Christ. And if you don't love the church, you don't love his bride. You can't have church by yourself. You can't have apostles and elders and pastors and teachers. You can't have the gifts of the Spirit flourish. You, you can't have, you know, deacons. You can't have these things in just you. You have to have a body, a group. And the church, wherever it is, whether it's meeting under a hill, under an overpass, or under an air-conditioned roof, wherever it meets, it's the bride of Christ. So don't despise His bride. Now, that was a side note. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. In other words, let me say it like this. Paul looked at his life when he got blinded on the road to Damascus and he began to see the things of his life didn't matter much when he saw the beauty of Jesus. He saw Jesus more worthy of all that he was, and he was more than all men. He wasn't bragging in the flesh, but he was saying, look, I got all these accolades. If anybody was going to brag about their flesh, it could have been Paul. But when, when the bright light shone upon him, and you can say it this way, when the Holy Ghost preaches the gospel to you, and you understand the truth of who Jesus is, and you understand that you had no hope, but God loved you, and He came and He incarnated in flesh and shed holy blood for you because He bought you with His own blood on the Calvary, and He rose from the dead, and He stuck with a body of flesh because He's a Redeemer, and that was the plan of salvation salvation from the foundation of the earth and God when you look at it that way you'll begin to get blinded like Paul did you'll begin to say wow what bright light is this it's the gospel moving in 
That bright light is a disinfectant. It's moving all the junk out of our heart. That bright light is a disinfectant. It's moving all that gunk out. Moving all fear out. Moving all the world and sin and selfish and pride out. That's, that's what that bright light is. He's moving out all that the devil has brought in and he's disinfecting all those things. And Paul got that disinfectant. When, when that bright light shone, he was changed forevermore. He wasn't going back. He wasn't going to lean on the, the concision of who he was. He's now leaning on the circumcision of who he is. He now belongs to Jesus. It's not about who he is. It's about who Jesus is. And see, that's what God's looking for in our lives today is that, that, that we begin to see that we would count all things lost for him. And, and so I want you to, to look at it like Paul did. He counted everything lost for Jesus. What is it in our lives that compete with that? Now, now, most people on the surface, they'll say, oh, nothing does. Okay, I'm with you. Nothing does. Let's answer it like Sunday school children. Nothing does. But God's looking for us to search our hearts and to ask the Lord, is there things in my life that I'm putting before you? Are there things in my life that I'm putting before the house of God? Before the kingdom of God? Now, I got something to tell you. God's not interested in building buildings. We, we in the American church, we have a good habit of passing the offering bucket so we can build stuff. God's not looking to build physical stuff. God's looking to build spiritual stuff. It's a spiritual kingdom God's looking to build. And it's really easy to be the concession and donate $20 so that we can get a new youth building. But it's way different. It's way different to be circumcision and to donate your time so that you can share the gospel with the youth. You see, the, the flesh will always be consistent and donate $20 to a building program because that makes the flesh feel good. But God's looking for people to stop being consistent and to do that which is spiritual, which is instead of donating $20, donate your time, donate your heart, donate your life to those people, to those children, whatever it takes. Maybe you need to pray for them. Maybe you need to share a track with them. Maybe you need to share the gospel with them. But see, we're about buildings, denominations, programs, money, influence, politics. We're about this. We're about that. God's after souls. God's mission never changed. Jesus came to save the lost. That's what he said. Jesus said he came to save the lost. When did the mission change? Because if last time I checked, that should be, if that's his mission, it should be our mission. If, if his mission was, I came to build buildings and to make monuments and to start denominations and to do this and to do that, then we should do what we've been doing. I came to take up offerings. I came to do this. But if he didn't come to do all that, we shouldn't be doing all that. If he came to save the lost, we should be about his business, which is saving the lost. That's what we should be. The, the concession wants to drop in that 20 to build a building. The circumcision wants to drop to their knees, pray, pass out a track, share the gospel so that the kingdom's built. 
Now, turn with me, if you will, over to, to the book of Mark, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8. Hallelujah. We're going to hear from the Lord right here on this. We're going to close right here. Mark, chapter 8. I went in it just a little bit. Mark, chapter 8, verse number 34. You see, when, when, when Paul was on that road to Damascus and, and Jesus blinded him and Jesus said, you, you know, he said, why are you, you know, doing this? Paul didn't understand that the church was Christ's bride. He didn't understand that the church is the body of Christ, the literal body of Christ. He didn't understand that. Now, once he saw it, once he had his road to Damascus experience, it changed. And, and, and here's what I want you to see. He said earlier that he counted all things lost for Christ. All things. I, I, I believe even if his tent-making business got in the, in, prohibited him from sharing the gospel, he would have not been a tent-maker. See, he wasn't a money beggar. He wasn't, you know, if you don't share the gospel, I'm not going to be able to go to the Galatian church. He didn't do all that. He, he went his own way. He, he, he worked. He rolled up his sleeves. He made tents. And he provided his own way to carry the gospel wherever the Lord led him to go. Well, the Lord gave him the ability to build tents, but he did it. He rolled up his sleeves. He didn't go around begging people saying, if you don't give, I'm not going to be able to go. He didn't do that. But the church today does. It shows you how backwards we are. It shows you how wrong we are. Because we've, we've become consistent in a lot of ways. But notice what he said. He said that he counted all things lost for Christ. So he had a moment right there on the road to Damascus that he saw the cross. And he let go of self. He saw the cross and he let go of self. And Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? That, that is, that, that's the beginning, yes. But that's where you stay. The, the place when we mess up as Christians is when we get off the road to Damascus. When, when, when we graduate from the road to Damascus, we done lost it. We've lost the wonder, the zeal, the expectation. You see, there's some Christians that they'll go to church and, and they'll be so fired up on the way to church because they come with a heart of expectation. They come with a zeal for the Lord. You don't have to prime them up, pump them up. You don't have to pat them on the back. You don't have to give them flowers, cards, or candies. You don't have to say sweet nothings in their ear. And you don't have to do this and do that for them because they come on fire for God because they're full of the fire of God. But then there's others, there's others that, that you, you've got to give them cards, flowers, and candies, and sweet nothings, and you've got to give them notes, and you've got to do this just so that you can lift them up out of the CNN and Fox News fear that they've lived in for the past week. You've got to pump them up because they've lived down in the ditch. Instead of living in the clouds of glory, they've been living in the ditch with the devil, and then they come to church and they wonder why there's no joy, there's no heart of expectation, there's no moving of the spirit there's none of the miraculous there's none of that going on because we've went from the ditch to the door instead of going from the glory to the door and one of the problems that God is calling us to look at today in our own lives in our own lives is are we guarding our heart with all diligence are we making sure we're not allowing the filth of the world in 
And because when you do, it will influence you. You'll no longer be living by faith. You'll no longer be ex expecting God to move. You'll no longer be expecting the miraculous. You'll no longer believe for miracles. You'll no longer contend for healing. You'll no longer expect God to be filling people today with the Holy Ghost. You'll no longer be expecting for sovereign works of the Holy Ghost, moving of the gifts. You'll no longer be expecting those things, desiring those things. But all you'll want to do is do the golf clap. That's the golf clap. You know, I just sang it a while ago. The golf clap. I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Yeah, you do. Keep saying it. Sure you do. But you see, whenever Paul was on that road to Damascus and that bright light blinded him, he let go of life and he grabbed hold of Jesus. And, and, and I told you, that's where Christian life begins, but it don't end there. It stays there. To, for you to live a faithful, spirit-led, joyful Christian life, you're going to have to stay in that place where you let life go and grab hold of Jesus. Jesus is our life. He said, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But what does it say about us when we don't want the life of Jesus? We'd rather have the life a politician can give us. Oh, yeah, he come. He going to help me out. Yeah, he going to help you out. He going to steal the joy of the Lord. You put your hope in men, you're not going to have the joy of the Lord. So Jesus said here in verse 34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Three things. Simple. Three simple things. We're not going to exposit it. This is not a book report. This is a preaching. This is just three simple things that God has called everyone to do if you're going to come after Him. What is it? Deny yourself. That's what Paul did. Paul let go of his accolades. He let go of who he was religiously. He let go of his consistion. He let go of his standing. He let go of who he was in the community. He let go of how people looked at him. He let go of all those things. Well, if you don't like how I am, that's just how I was born. You're going to have to deal with it. No, you got to let that go. I was born with the temper. I'm just, you're just going to have to get used to it. No, you don't have to get used to it. God makes you new in Jesus' name. When you get saved, old things get passed away and all things are made new. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're filled with the Spirit of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit that's supposed to be flowing through us, not the works of the flesh. So to deny yourself means to let it go. And no one can come to Christ except that they let themselves go. And the second one, he said, take up his cross. What does that mean? What does it mean to take up? That's a life. The, the cross is Christ, Christ alone, nothing less, nothing more. Amen. You don't come to Christ so you can get a blessing. You come die. Leonard Ravenhill, he said, 
He said, you know, don't sing that song, there's room at the cross for you. He said, y'all need to sing it, there's room on the cross for you because you've got to come and die to self so that God can give you new life. If you're not willing to die to self, you're never going to experience the new life that God has for you, the abundant life that God has for you. But to take up the cross is to, is to live a perpetual life of death to self and life to God. Death to self, life to God. Simple, right? It's the crucified life. It's no longer about what I want. When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't about what he wanted. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. That's the motto of that verse. It's about taking up the cross. It's about no longer being about what I want. Well, I want it like this. Well, I want it like that. Well, I want it like this. But you see, when Jesus went to the cross, he went there because the Father wanted him to go there. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. That's what he said. And then the next part is follow me. Follow me. Well, follow him. Where is he going today? He's going for souls. He's going soul winning. That was his mission. He came to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. He came to seek and to save the lost. And see, one of the problems we see in the church is we're going places Jesus ain't going. He said, wherever I am, there my disciples will be. We backwards it. We said, wherever I am, Jesus is going to be. But he said, wherever I am, there will my disciples be. You see, where is he? He's seeking to save the lost. And in these days, these short days, I don't know how many days we've got left, but I know they're short. I know the Lord's coming back. I know the trumpet's about to sound. I don't know when, but I know this, from this day to that day, God's desire is not going to change. He's looking for people to be about his business, to follow him. To go out in the highways and byways, compel the lost to come into the house of God, preaching the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, making disciples, sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, incarnating in flesh, dying on the cross for their sin, rising on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave, sur surrounded right now by all the heavenly armies because he's seated at the right hand of the Father Father, interceding for the church today, this day, and forever until he comes back. That's our job. That's our job. And God's asking us today if we're concision or circumcision. Concision, once again, just a reminder, concision is the surgical aspect of the right thing. Circumcision is the spiritual aspect of the right thing. Some people have the surgical aspect of it. But do you have the spiritual reality of it? That's the greater question. God doesn't want you to go away empty. 